Almighty God, come now, Lord, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take the word of God which you inspired and gifted to your covenant people and activate it in our hearing this morning. I pray that you would give me the ability to speak your word clearly and accurately, Lord. Let me not say anything in error but or anything that distracts from Jesus. We, we would pray that through every word that is uttered and all that we hear, the Lord Jesus Christ will be exalted and the body of Christ edified and built up. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, um, some of us, uh, your clergy and lay delegates, have been at Synod this past week, which is the gathering of our diocese. We are very, very blessed. I, I'm always impressed when I get to gather, even virtually. A lot of it was on Zoom. Most of it was on Zoom for everybody. Uh, I wish I had had stock in Zoom uh, last year, but no, that didn't happen. But we, uh, I'm always impressed with the quality of leadership uh, that we have in our diocese. Lay and clergy leadership is amazing. And one of the things that's great about being an Anglican is you don't have to really like, I don't know what scripture I'm going to preach. Uh, this coming Sunday, even when you have a compressed week like that, because we have a lectionary. We've got a wonderful gift. We, one of the great gifts of being in the Anglican way is that we are encouraged to cover many biblical themes that we might overlook because we have this three-year reading uh, plan called the Sunday Lectionary. And so the Bible readings for the next four Sundays that we're going to be listening to from our lectionary all deal with these two topics, really one topic, the second coming of Christ and the final judgment, the second coming of Christ and the final judgment. We talk about this particularly in Advent every year, but in the weeks leading up to Advent in this year, we're going to hear those scriptures as well. And we need to hear these scriptures because the church in North America is becoming squeamish in regard to hearing about God's judgment. Now, don't misunderstand me. American society has no problem talking about our judgment, the day of judgment. We want to happen. Our oh-so-enlightened our oh campaigns rooted in secular utopianism to punish those who are on the wrong side of history. We want that kind of judgment. No, it's, it's God's sovereign authority to judge based on the criterion of his perfect holiness and his perfect justice as clearly expressed in his word that we don't want to hear about, generally speaking. But we desperately need to hear this word because, like all of Scripture, it ultimately points us to the gospel. It is ultimately directs us to the good news about Jesus Christ. So we need to hear about judgment because, first of all, we need the assurance of God's, listen, God's governance of history. We need the, the assurance of God's governance of history. For a multitude of reasons, we feel like the world is reeling out of control right now. I don't even have to say 2020, we all know. And with the writer of Ecclesiastes, many of us could say there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve this, too, I say, is meaningless. We see things like that happening, and we want to know that there will be a day of reckoning, that there will be a day that God does express his righteousness and holiness in history, that there will be a, a, a consummation of the age. 
But the word of God's judgment and of Christ's second coming really are good news for us because on that great day, as we heard in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, on that great day, at least, if not up till then, but at least on that great, great day, justice will indeed roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's going to happen. It is promised in God's word. And we need to take to heart the truth that one day God will bring final judgment on wickedness and idolatry and on the culture of death. There is a day where God will right all wrongs. But brothers and sisters, we also need to take this truth as a warning, as a warning. That's certainly the case with the gospel reading this morning, and it's a case with the Amos passage as well. We need to take it as a warning. Amos chapter 5 is not written to the pagan cultures surrounding Israel. It's not written to Assyria. It's not written to Egypt. It's not written to the Babylonians. No, Amos 5 is directed to God's covenant community, not those outside the covenant community, but those within the covenant community. And therefore, it is a word to church. It's a word to us as church. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. He's talking to his covenant people. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. How could this be a warning to us? Well, you, we need to lead lives, here, listen, of constant transparency before the Lord. Transparency to God, he sees all anyway, so being, being transparent with God, but also an inner transparency so that we are self-aware as church. We need to be self-aware as church. You see, ju judgment always begins with God's people. That's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Where does God's act of judgment begin? It always begins within his covenant community. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4, 17. So this word of judgment that we hear in Amos' prophecy this morning calls us to a posture, listen, of humility as the people of God. It calls us to a posture of humility. He's speaking to his own people. He says, you guys think the day of the Lord's going to be great, but it might not be. If we don't have a posture of humility, we need to welcome, here it is, and this is one of the ways we know we have a posture of humility, is that we welcome the searchlight of God's truth. We desire the searchlight of God's truth. You see, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I, I, I don't even know if I can articulate it uh, properly this morning, but we are, we are living in an age where, um, where, where this, uh, there is a spirit at work, the spirit of the age, where we are willing to fill our lives with self-delusion about ultimate and transcendent things where we're willing to think of this world purely in the imminent frame as if this is all there's ever going to be and all our stock and all our momentum and all of our, our efforts are in this world. There is a transcendence, but we are not living like that as a culture. We are a culture that has been stripped of transcendence. And so that's one of the reasons why so many people see politics as an ultimate thing. Because if there is no transcendence, if there is no God, it is the ultimate thing. But if there's something beyond this world, it's a secondary thing. I, I think about 
I thought about it this morning, uh, about this, this problem of self-deception that we, we have, not just out there, but within ourselves. And uh, part of God's judgment, when we, when we choose to not believe his word, when we choose to live uh, 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 the lie of this world is all there is, it says um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, verse 11, talking about people who refuse the truth. Therefore, God, what, hap- what happens when a people refuse truth? When you don't want to hear the truth about yourself or about the church or about the world, what happens when we don't want to hear the truth? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, Therefore, this is the judgment of God. Here it is. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. If you don't want it, fine. Here's your self-delusion. Therefore, God sends them. God sends them a strong, a strong, powerful, convincing delusion. So that they may not believe, so excuse me, so that they may believe what is false. Once we say, no, that we don't want that truth. We don't like your truth, God. We we have, you know, I'm going to speak my truth. As if we're the arbiters of truth. How narcissistic do you have to be to think that we are the ones that, I've got my defining truth. Because I'm, I'm my own little solar system and I'm the sun in the middle of it and everything just revolves around me. We need a Copernican revolution in our thinking. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that they all, in order that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness and I see this judgment poured out today and so we need a posture of humility as church we want to invite the searchlight of God's truth into our lives we need to pray that God's word and Holy Spirit would pierce our hard hearts and open our blind eyes Believe it or not, as a pastor, I don't like hurting people's feelings. I'm kind of normal. I want people to like me. It's, you know, I think that's where we all want to be. I don't like making people mad at me, but judgment is coming. It really is. I'm convinced of this. Um, the day of the Lord will be a day of darkness and not light. If we are unrepentant, And brothers and sisters, and and I I need this as much as you need this, but I'd rather hurt your feelings now through the sharp sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, than for you to spend an eternity under the wrath of God. That's so much more important than tickling, itching ears. So Jesus Christ, God Have mercy on me. Don't let me protect my own sin through willful self-delusion. That is my prayer. Here's the thing about being spiritually blind. You don't know you're spiritually blind. So Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do not let me protect my own sin 
through my willful self-delusion. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Maybe this should be a prayer for all of us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the path of, in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. So, Lord, don't let us delude ourselves as a parish or a diocese or a denomination or as the church universal. God, grant us, listen, God, grant us all, this is my prayer, to hear your word. God, grant us the courage to hear your word against us so that judgment day will not come upon us and be a day of darkness and not light. God, grant us a sense of, may God give us, his church, a sense of urgency. Take away our stupor. Take away our drowsiness. Almighty God, give us a sense of urgency about being prepared for that day. And that's exactly where our Lord's parable of the ten virgins applies to the church right now. This, this is a, one of Jesus' more allegorical parables. They're not, typically, they're not allegories. They're typically like make one big pithy point. And I guess this one does too. But there's some allegory, allegorical touchstones in this parable. The ten young maidens represent the visible church. The visible church is made up of both genuinely born-again believers and also those who outwardly appear to be Christians. They've had all the rites and sacraments of the church. They might even, who knows, carry their Bible around with them. They go to church. They, they say Christian stuff and seem to do Christian things. They have the outward appearance to be Christians, but they've never truly been regenerated and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling us that's the way church would be. Every church I've ever pastored has had unconverted people in it, and this church is no exception. I just don't know which ones they are. <laughs> I hope it's not me. Very quickly, though, these, these ten virgins and this parable show us something. They teach us something. Jesus is telling us, just as with the, the five foolish virgins, the five unprepared virgins, the five virgins who did not have oil in their lamps, he's telling us that there are some things that cannot be done at the last minute. There's some things in life that cannot wait until the last minute. And there does come a time, and this is, um, there are two phrases I've been thinking about in, in reference to this passage all week that are just kind of heartbreaking phrases. One is, uh, here's the first one is, it's too late, and the second one is, I'm not ready. It's too late, and I'm not ready. There does come a time when it is too late. I've been thinking a lot about courage lately. You know, when the time to show great courage comes along, you will only be ready if you have been practicing little acts of courage in a thousand little ways before then. And I believe that God is calling the church, me and you, in this season to a time to gird up our loins and be a courageous church. But if we haven't been practicing courage in the little things when the time, when the day for great courage comes, when the time for making a, a big stand comes, you know... Um, have you seen that picture? It's a real picture. It's a, it's a picture I probably, 1937 or something like that. It's like, I don't know if it's a Nuremberg rally or but it was a big Nazi rally. And you've seen this black and white photograph, and it, it's, the meme says, be this guy. 
but everybody's given the, you know, the Heil Hitler salute, and there's one guy in the, one guy in the crowd with both his arms down, and the meme says, be this guy. Well, you won't be that guy if you're not practicing that, those little acts of courage to speak the truth and the courage, listen, to receive the truth, the courage to walk against the flow and with Christ. If you're not doing those things on a daily basis, when the time for great courage comes, we will not possess the ability to do it. You don't have the courage to walk in a different direction from the crowd today. You won't have the courage when the big moment comes. If you don't have the courage to risk being weird in your social group among your colleagues because of your Christian convictions, you won't be courageous when it comes time to really risk losing your financial security or possession, possessions or liberty. When the test comes, um, I we have had many academics, uh, people who are in university education, come through Christ Church, and we've had them go off to University of Charleston, off to Notre Dame, which evidently is a school somewhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, they've gone up to Grove City College and places like that. And one of the things that I hear from people who are in the academy more and more is. I have to live my life as a closeted Christian, hiding my Christian convictions in my workplace. I, I know that's got to be very, very difficult. But I want to suggest that maybe it's time to stop hiding those things, even if it means losing your job forever. Because if we're not courageous when we're not shedding our blood, and when the day comes when we have to make that decision, we will not be courageous then either. God help us. God help me. <laughs> Parents who are afraid, who don't have the courage to risk their children's displeasure when you tell them that, well, no, you can't participate in that sports league because the practices during worship times on Sunday morning or you travel and you play during Sunday worship or it's during your catechism class. No, you can't do that. And we're afraid that we're afraid of our children? What are you going to do when the stakes are really high? But most of all, this passage reminds us that there is a time when it is too late for conversion. When the midnight cry is heard, here is the bridegroom. When the trumpet of God sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. The time for repentance and accepting Christ will be over. Many people think that deathbed conversion is a thing. I think right now many people don't think about it at all anymore. They're kind of like, I'm just going to like um, distract myself to the grave. But there are people that think deathbed conversion is a thing, and by God's grace, I, I believe that it can happen. God is sovereign. But here's what I've seen as a pastor. Are you ready? 
Most of the time, if we have a trajectory of unrepentance and of rejecting Christ, we will remain on that track at the moment of death and we will be unable to repent. I have witnessed that. I don't think I've ever witnessed a deathbed conversion. I've seen a hardened heart go out into eternity as a hardened heart. The reality is that when that moment comes, some will be shut out because they were not prepared to meet Jesus. This is a warning for us to the church. Matthew 25, 11 and 12, afterward, the other virgins came also. They tried to go find some oil. I don't know who's buying, selling oil at midnight, but they were out finding it. <laughs> Squeezing olives, getting some oil out of them. I don't know what they were doing. The other virgins came also saying, Lord, open to us, but, and this is just tragic, but he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And so we're taught that we must be in a constant state of readiness. The one thing we know for sure about Christ's second coming and final judgment is that everybody will be surprised. Everybody will be surprised. Those sleeping five wise virgins, they were surprised. The foolish virgins, they were surprised. Everybody was surprised. So Jesus says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be vigilant. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you this morning, and again, I had to make these notes, so I had to ask myself first, are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you ready right now for Jesus to return? Are you ready for judgment? Will it be a day of darkness and not light? Will it be as if a man went into his house and leaned against his wall and was bitten by a viper? Are you going to come to, well, we all are going to come to that moment one way or the other. I mean, our life will end one day. Uh, this is why I can't be in politics, uh, and especially during a time of COVID. I would just tell people everybody in America is going to die. <laughs> the, the mortality rate is still 100%. I've, I've checked the stats. It's the science. We're all going to die. And will we on our deathbed hear what I have literally heard others say, I'm not ready? Oh, don't be that person. Uh, you know, it's funny, um, you know, as I, now this week is an exception because, again, it was a compressed week for me, but usually as I'm, wor I'm usually working all week long on, on a sermon and and, uh, and it's kind of like it's real to me. It's kind of like I'm going to have to get up here and stand in front of you guys and, and preach on Sunday morning. I, I, I do believe it's going to happen. It's kind of real. But then when I wake up on Sunday morning and I'm sitting in the clergy office upstairs, all of a sudden, it's real, real. <laughs> and, and I'll be looking back at notes and I'll say, I can't say that. <laughs> or that's horrible. Or that makes no sense at all. It's something about when that moment comes find out, oh, wait a second, there are things I need to take care of. Are you ready? It's real, real. 
those who turn away from sin and in faith turn to Jesus Christ and receive him, those who have been born again and washed in the blood of the Lamb, those who are prepared to greet the Lord at the end of the age or at the end of their lives, there is a wonderful, wonderful promise for us. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. He invites us into a garden of infinite delight and a table of banqueting joy that we could never even imagine. I want to be ready for that. A good time to prepare ourselves and evaluate if we have made those kind of life decisions that we need to make in order to arrive at the wedding banquet is to examine ourselves as we come to this banquet. Uh, To ask the Holy Spirit to as we come to the time of confession, to make me aware of anything that may make me the kind of person that would have to say, I'm not ready yet. And maybe some of us this morning, one of us, maybe multiple of us, have never made that choice to, in God's grace, by his spirit, to say yes to Jesus Christ, to turn away from sin, and to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, this time we're coming into a time of prayer. What a wonderful time at that time of confession to make that your heartfelt confession of repentance and turning to Jesus Christ, and then then let him come into your life so that when he comes again, you will be glad to meet the bridegroom and you will be welcomed with him to the marriage feast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.